0: A lot of people, especially in the tech world, but not just in the tech world, who go and they build this great thing. Here's the thing I'm trying to build, without necessarily thinking about what, where does it fit in the market? What is the problem it's actually solving? Does it solve a problem, or is it just something cool you want to create? I like to fall back on basic business fundamentals. That if you want to have a business model and not just a cool product that may or may not make money, you've got to think about what's the problem, because that's what people buy. They buy solutions to their Mm. problems.
1: I happen to know service businesses. That's kind of what works for me. But I think my biggest advice or the thing, you know, having started a number of businesses, the most, uh, you know, kind of ongoing, permutating point that I can give is that starting a business with low initial capital outlay is the absolute best piece of advice that I think I can give.
0: I think coaching is a huge market and it's only going to get bigger. Your biggest challenge is going to be how do you make you stand out from everyone else who's out there? Uh, it's not to say that it's flooded. There's plenty of people in the marketplace. You just got to be able to position your niche. I really am going to implore you, please, if you're going to create a coaching program, be teaching on something that you're actually an authority in. you're an expert and you've done this. I just really implore you to do that.
1: Hey, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Entrepreneurs Rising, the show where we help businesses rise. And we are all about helping to empower small business owners. We believe that a rising tide will rise all boats. And that's what this show is all about. I'm joined by my amazing co-host, good friend of mine, Mr. Carl Taylor. How are you doing today, buddy?
0: Peter, I am feeling fantastic. I'm so excited to be here and to do this episode. This is going to be a really good one.
1: Sweet. This is going to be a good one. This episode is what businesses should you be starting in 2021? And if you're listening to this at a time that we have started, at a time that is after the point where we have actually recorded this, these philosophies will still hold true because these are Carl and my tips and ideas behind what kind of businesses you should be considering starting. And I think you get a bit of an idea and an insight into what kind of things we think about when we evaluate businesses, not just startups, but You know, what is going to create value in an enduring way in a business? Uh, I know that when I think about business, Carl, my priority is always, 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 what is the long-term vision? And Mm -hmm. I think many people will jump into a business or jump into a business idea because they're excited with the creation phase of that, the creativity phase, and that's birthing something new. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. That excitement and that drive is required for you to build and launch a successful business, But you got to think about what do you do with it once it's been created. And I always try and think about, okay, well, where is this going to be in five years? Where is this going to be in 10 years? What roadblocks might come up? But I think that's one of the key skills of a successful entrepreneur or of a competent entrepreneur is a long-term vision. What do you think? When you think about starting a business, I mean, it's probably been a while since you started a new business fresh, apart from maybe you count some of your side projects as a new business. What's your thinking when you're starting a business?
0: Yes, it's interesting. I definitely agree with the vision. You know, always got to have a strong vision of kind of what you believe it can be or will be. However, I come back more to, for me, I think more about what is the job to be done? What is it actually trying to solve? Like too many businesses get started, too many business owners get started looking for, They've got a solution, and then they go looking for the problem that it solves, as opposed to going, what is the job to be done? What is the market? What is the problem? What is the need? And then what are all those jobs that need to be done by that market and then coming up with the solution. And that's understanding that solution can start to then shape what business model to go into, what you want to do. And I do always think about what the longer term vision for me, it's about, when I'm thinking multiple companies, I'm thinking about how they all tie together. How much are they completely new markets or, or is it using a same existing market that I already have access to? But if you're thinking about starting a business right now, like really the thing to look at is what's happening in the marketplace. What's going on around? Yeah. Think about where it's going to be in five years, 10 years. I don't think about it that much. I just think about more the vision of where I think this can be or what the finished product as finished as it will ever be could be. And then I'm looking at, well, what's the immediate? What can be delivered now? What's the job that needs to be done? Great book if you want to learn more about that. I think it's called The Jobs to Be Done Theory. And it just really talks about how everything you buy and or use, whether you're using Netflix, whether you're buying a milkshake, there is a job that it is doing and you're hiring a product or a service to solve that. So when you think about that, that's what I really think about. Start thinking about what's the need, what's the problem, and then From there, I believe that's where the business will emerge. So I agree with you, but I don't go to the same approach, Pete, of going, okay, five years from now, what's going to be the obstacles? I'm not thinking about that stuff. I'm just looking at what's the immediate need and can I actually serve it?
1: Mm. What you shared reminded me of something that Cohen Ray has said a number of times in seminars and workshops that I've been in with him is that value is only derived from the problems that you solve. So products don't solve problems. Products don't provide value. <laughs> the value is created when a problem is actually solved. And that's in line with yes. the jobs to be done theory, which if you, to the listener, have not heard of that, it's the study of and a body of work around, you know, why people actually consume and why people actually choose products and services. The book is definitely on the jobs to be done theory, but I've got a feeling it's got an obscure name. I think it's called Competing Against Luck. I think that's Yeah, it that might be great. right. It's
0: the author is Clayton Christensen, if that helps, if you're looking for it. Clayton Christensen and it will be linked in the show notes for you.
1: But it's fantastic. And there's some there's stuff on YouTube there as well. I really love that idea, Carl, of the different approach at first looking at okay, well, what is, you know, what is like a burning house on fire problem that someone has. And how can a solution potentially potentially actually help that?
0: And, and like, because you see this today, like I, mean, I even saw a video Gary V. posted today as well. Like it was some short form video social service that I'd never heard of apparently shut down recently. And he'd called it. He reckoned that they weren't adding value. That's what his post was about. But he was drawing attention to what's so true is that there are a lot of people, especially in the tech world, but not just in the tech world, who go and they build this great thing. Here's the thing I'm trying to build without necessarily thinking about what, Where does it fit in the market? What is the problem it's actually solving? Does it solve a problem or is it just something cool you want to create? Because Facebook was something that was just something cool to be created. So there's a lot of people who we admire what the creators did of the early internet years. But I like to fall back on basic business fundamentals that if you want to have a business model and not just a cool product that may or may not make money, you've got to think about what's the problem because that's what people buy. They buy solutions to their Mm. problems.
1: I think that's interesting. I'm inclined to argue with you with Facebook because like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg didn't sit down and think like, what problem am I looking to solve here? Like, I think he was just creating out of creation. And in that respect, was it just luck? You know, it's curious at what point did the vision come in? And if you think about a business like Google, you could even argue that they started with a solution. They had, you know, this technology that they were developing at, I think Stanford Business School, in the or Computer Science faculty, and they then, you know, molded that to organizing information and crawling web pages. So, you know, maybe they're a different category of businesses. Maybe the businesses that we're talking about are you know more of a small or medium-sized business and you know people are not necessarily looking to change the world with their business. Maybe there is value in those businesses being categorized as moonshots or, or category breakers. They're, maybe they're just in a different league. I don't know if that brings up any thoughts for you. Well, that's what I was
0: actually kind of saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, firstly, I actually agree with you. That's what I was saying is that, you know, something like Facebook, I don't believe they didn't have a business model in mind. They were just building something cool initially. That's what Facebook was. Google, I agree. Originally the scientists, you know, and they were working on algorithms and they were doing things, but they were actually seeking to solve a problem, not to build a business, but they were seeking to solve a problem. The early internet, if for those of us who can remember it was just, a mishmash of content. You had these horrible search engines like Yahoo, Metacrawler, AltaVista, Ask Jeeves, and AOL Online Portal. It was so hard to find information. and So they set out to make something better to find really good, solid, reliable content. So there was a problem, a job that needed to be done that they felt they could do better. Mm-hmm. So a job to be done is not about going, oh, there's already something that solves that, does that. It's about, can you do it better in a way that that can't, that no one else is doing and whereas Facebook, you know, like that was just Mark playing around, you know, in his dorm room, fiddling with a few ideas, and then eventually the idea kind of sparked. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's kind of more innovation, early R and D. I mean, Google, Facebook, those kind of companies are constantly investing in R and D, looking for what might be the next big thing. They don't have a business model yet. They're playing with VR. They're playing with augmented reality. They're playing with driverless cars, just hoping that they'll find something that will then turn into a business model. I think that's amazing. And if you can play at that level, the game, all power to you. I believe that probably the majority of our listeners are really in a point of like, I'm just looking to make some money, change for my career, or just move into something new. And that's why I think like going practical, just what's the problem that can be solved? What do you see out there? And here's a big tip for you. If you're thinking about what problem can I solve? Look at problems you've solved for yourself or problems you've previously solved for others. Look to your own life. I don't know about you, Pete, but in my own experience, some of my biggest ideas and breakthroughs for businesses have come from me fully understanding the problem so well. And why did I understand the problem so well? I'd lived it. Because you were the avatar. I'd lived it. (laughs) Yeah. So that's an early place to start looking at. What are the problems you're facing and could you solve it? Or what have you already solved in your own life that you could then solve on a bigger scale for other people?
1: That's interesting to me because I've sometimes struggled with The idea of not actually being my own customer and not being in the demographic of my own customer is probably the main thing. You know, my business is helping small, medium business owners with technology, getting it all in flow, getting it all in sync. But I'm the guy that tech comes really naturally to. And so not only have I had to, um, uh, you know, align the service to what our customers want, three, four years ago, I thought customers wanted live chat because I love using live chat, because it's more efficient way of getting support. But what I realized is no, my customers really just want to actually pick up the phone and talk to someone and, and get some help. And so it's not until the last 12 months, really, that messaging through Facebook chat has become really popular for my customers, because the demographic tends to be more of like a Gen X or a baby boomer crowd that are my customers. And it's funny, like, you know, young people will ask me and they'll say, Hey, what does your business do? And I say, Oh, we help people with Gmail and Google Drive and getting their, you know, emails their file stories set up correctly, and people go, Oh, people need help with that. And it's like, yeah, like 80% of the business owners did not grow up with a Gmail account. You know, they've had servers and Outlook and you know, big Pond mail and things like that. This episode, Carl, is timely. You know, I want to get into what businesses we should be starting. A friend messaged me and they literally asked me this question. They said, Hey, my partner and I would like to start a business do you have any suggestions and what i immediately noticed was my bias come into play Mm. and my bias is that i've always run service businesses and so that's what i naturally gravitate towards and i started thinking huh what kind of service business would i create well it would probably be recurring revenue and it would probably have you know an element of offshore staffing to have some geo arbitrage and the labor costs and then i kind of caught myself and went wait is that actually an answer to the question Or is that just me kind of injecting my bias in there? And so I happen to know service businesses. That's kind of what works for me. But I think my biggest advice or the thing, you know, having started a number of businesses, the most, uh, you know, kind of ongoing permutating point that I can give is that starting a business with low initial capital outlay is the absolute best piece of advice that I think I can give. Right now, particularly in uncertain times, I'm not a fan of gambling. And there's a great concept in the book that I'm reading at the moment, Great by Choice by Jim Collins, about first firing bullets and then firing cannonballs. And the, the concept goes, that if you want to try and sink a battleship, if you just start firing cannonballs at random spots, you're probably not going to sink the ship. But if you take a machine gun and you fire in rapid succession and you find where the weak points are, where the bullets will go through, then you can start firing cannonballs just at that one spot. And the idea of that concept is you first make small little tests before you go all in on something. And we were talking about our team today about a potential grant program for helping our team with microloans to start side hustles and side businesses. And I was walking this afternoon and I kind of thought to myself, you know, it's such a shame for businesses to think that they need a loan to start a business. I've never used a loan to start a business. I've certainly used capital to grow a business, but I've never used a loan to start a business. And, you know, the whole idea of the lean concept, the book by uh, Eric Ries, uh, which talks more in the kind of like Silicon Valley perspective of starting and launching a you know high growth company. The idea is MVP, minimum viable product. And a lot of other launch artists in the, you know, kind of more internet marketing type space will talk about earning dollars before the product has sometimes even been created. You know, starting to get your first few customers and testing demand by running Facebook ads to a product that you don't yet have for sale, maybe sending people to a wait list to test and validate ideas. And so I would say, you know, if you're just starting out, try and do it for zero dollars because there's nothing worse than. Having a garage full of stock that you've bought before you've marketed something, and then finding out that, uh oh, you know, no one's going to buy this product, and you're effectively worse off than when you started before you started the business. And uh, yeah, so Carl, I think you've got some particular industries that you're interested in. And I'm curious to hear about those, and you know what's meaningful to you there. Yeah, well, there's
0: a couple of things I want to say to what you just said first too. Like, there are so many people that I see do that. They go away, they build this thing, they pour lots of money in it without proving. And even if they didn't pour lots of money in it, they might've put a lot of time in to build something, to build this amazing product.
1: Oh, build a co- building a course, yeah. like spending months building and filming a course. And no
0: one buys it. I've done it. I'm guilty. I'm not I'm not saying I'm above it. No, no way. I, you know, we've all done it. This is why we know and we try to give the advice, please don't do it because we've done it. You know, I created this great course a long, long time ago. Pete knows about it. It was called Inbox Domination. I spent... I don't know how long it was. It wasn't a huge amount of time, but it was still significant time. Created this great course. And then I went out there and did launches and tried to sell. It didn't sell super well. I ended up doing a a partnership and kind of giving it away to a bunch of people. And then that got a lot of traction and it helped a lot of people. I know Pete went through it at one point. He's got a similar program that he teaches too. But like this course, like I didn't test that people wanted to buy it first. I was having this conversation with someone just the other day about, hey, like you want to build this course go out and sell it and run the course live first to test the content, to see how it lands, record it even, and that becomes the product. You can do it discounted when you first launch. Like it's that's going to be better for you. Well, make sure people show up for the bloody event
1: when you present <laughs> it live. That's a good metric. Yeah.
0: So, you know, are people prepared to actually give you a dollar for it is going to be a really big test. If someone's prepared to not just say, oh yeah, I'll buy it, but they actually give you money, that's a good test. Uh, now, obviously there's some situations where that's not, as possible, like software, for example, I've been building some software as a potential company. It's at the moment; it's still very much in R and D. But it's, you know, it's it's been two years of building this software. There's been team members being paid. Like it's cost a bit of money to get it and time to get this off the ground, and we're still only getting it the MVP status. And that's not something that I would recommend to most people unless you've got the money resources to do it, or you yourself are a coder. And if you are yourself a coder, you could probably build what's taken us two years to build. You'd probably get a, an MVP version of that up in probably a couple of months. You know, I used to be a coder. If I was good at what I was doing and that's all I did all day, I could have probably built what we've taken two years to build in a few months. But that the reality is I don't. I have other people working on it. There's lots of other pieces in the mix. So getting back to like more some specific industries and examples. I think there's a few we've already touched on. I think coaching is a huge market and it's only going to get bigger. The biggest challenge you've got, if you go, hey, you know what? I want to be a coach or a course creator and and sell courses online. Your biggest challenge is going to be, how do you make you stand out from everyone else who's out there? Uh, It's not to say that it's flooded. There's plenty of people in the marketplace. You just got to be able to position your niche. And you, I really am going to implore you, please, if you're going to create a coaching program, be teaching on something that you're actually an authority in. you're an expert and you've done this. I just really implore you to do that because that's going to be a challenge. If you go out there going like, Hey, I'm going to teach you how to set up Facebook ads and you've never run Facebook ads. Uh, you're going to have people sure probably buy your course. Cause they think that's an amazing idea. But you're going to struggle to get results for people and then therefore it's going to end up hurting the business in the long term. Whereas if you go in, maybe you decide to spend a few months learning Facebook ads, running a few, taking on a few one-on-one clients for low price to learn it, practice it, come up with your own system and then launch a course about it. That's a different approach where you've done consulting initially, learned the process, learned some great keys and strategies from doing the work. And uh, from there, you are able to create something that might be teach your course from that point of view. So consulting is always a winner. Just find something that you actually have some skills in can help someone in is a great business model. That's easy to start and coaching and the course creation model. Coaching is similar to consulting, except it's a bit more, you're working with people. You're not necessarily giving them the advice or doing it for them. You're actually kind of teaching them a bit. You're a true coach is more asking questions rather than telling. So that's kind of They're the super simple, you can start that with zero money. You don't need money to do anything. You just need some connections, um, like go out and network. When I say connections, you don't need to already know people. Just be prepared to put yourself out there. Money can help put yourself out there, but you don't need money to do it. Some of the other models, I've already mentioned software. If you can code, I recommend it. If you don't code, I would stay away from that for now, unless you think you've got a huge, incredible idea that no one else has. Then And you've got some money behind you or you can raise the money. The other business models that I think are huge in this period of time, e-commerce. We've seen with the COVID shutdowns that so much people who would have taken probably another five years before they were prepared to start buying things online are buying things online. And it's only going to keep growing. Retail. Is struggling. Retail is going to continue to struggle. Where I read an article even today about shopping malls in the US shutting down because they just they're just going to be shutting down these malls. And if you're from America listening, or you've been to America, you know how big the mall culture is in America. So that's a pretty big deal. So e-commerce, you take Shopify as your shopping cart platform. Super easy to get started. You connect that to Instagram and you do Instagram and the people who shop, mostly women, but not just women, shop on Instagram. I've been blown away at what I've been able to witness with my partner. I've never once bought something off Instagram and my partner pretty well uses Instagram as her search engine. She's searching everything. She looks for a product. She finds companies. She finds things. She buys things all from Instagram. I knew people did it. I just never seen it done until recently. And it's really shown that if you can, you don't even need a following on Instagram. You can just be running ads on Instagram. You can get in front of the right people, get them to back to your Shopify site. People will buy all sorts of great products and, and things from, from an e-commerce store. So that's definitely an area to look at too. And then the final thing I would say is getting into industry similar to, I guess an industry that's similar to me. It's known as productized services. A service, like find a really specific service that you can deliver and you can deliver it in a way that someone can buy it like they're buying a product. You know, there's the the really like try to be all everything agencies. And that's something I used to be. Uh, or you can kind of really put yourself down and go, you know what? We just do video editing. Or we just do podcast guest reach outs. Or we just do this. And you build a business all around delivering this very specific service that's the idea of a productized service and that's another type of business that I think is it's already getting big it wasn't that big as big as it is now like six years ago when I started my company but it's just growing and growing and growing and there's always going to be these little micro niche services that you could potentially build a great little business and a team that could deliver that service for you in the productized service space as well so there's some of my ideas Pete what about you what's some of your thoughts I think if I can just share on that, you know productized services
1: being a service that's repeatable and scalable to deliver and easy for a customer to purchase and is you know not not really bespoke. It's more along the lines of something that can be delivered in a fashion where yes, it may have an element of customization or uniqueness for the customer, but it's something that you can grow a team and a repeatable process around. If you can find a recurring subscription, Productized service, to me, that's the holy we grail. <laughs> now, that's the holy grail of of a service business. Obviously, we're in the service world and not so much in the product world. But you know, Carl and I were both fans of service businesses. We both happen to run recurring subscription productized service businesses. There are a lot of you know very very unique advantages. Now, they take a while to build. That's the challenge. Uh, a lot of effort to build, you know, and time to scale up because you effectively need to build subscriptions and you need to chase the churn, which is the customers that are canceling the subscriptions and be, you know, bringing the new customers in and provide value over time and all those kind of things. But it is, you know, very, can be a very profitable business, you know, entity and setup. But I want to kind of like open up, you know, more broadly the scope around, you know, right now, what options do we have? And, and I want to share a couple of strategic thoughts that I've had around what kind of businesses you might potentially be interested in starting. Now Tim Ferriss wrote an amazing book The 4-Hour Workweek which sold the dream of building a dropship e-commerce style business and retiring to Thailand once it was making $1000 a month in passive income. And that's, you know, certainly, you know, one way of doing things. I like to live in a more developed nation, so I need a little bit more than $1000 a month to live on, but the idea of creating a business which can run and only require your input in the business when you choose to is a very very compelling concept. Now, I think that's great for solopreneurs who are just kind of like getting started out. The reality is that for your business to get out of the launch stage or the startup stage, you have to build a team around you. And building a team becomes a skill that you need to actually then develop. And we've got plenty of other podcast episodes on that. But I would say that the moment that you start building a team you really have a level of responsibility that doesn't allow you to completely switch off and disappear from the business until you have scale and you have probably in excess of 20 employees. And so there's this big journey of you know building a team and going along that whole road. And we could probably fill a whole episode with different stages of business, which I'm sure we will do in the future. But the reason I mentioned Tim Ferriss is I wanted to talk about one important factor or a number of important factors that the 4-Hour Workweek really brought to us, to Carl and I, and and influenced our businesses as we were growing and building them. Number one is employing a global team. We've all through the corona pandemic been forced to experience working remotely across all kinds of different industries. And for us, this has been the normal for many, many years. We've run our businesses completely remotely. Our team have worked at home. We don't have fixed offices. Uh, We do have some co-working spaces and whatnot and shared offices that we work from. But for the most part, our teams are completely remote. Now, Remote is the new normal. Uh, you know, We've been saying this and educating businesses on this for years, but now everyone's actually finally got a taste of it. Remote is the new normal. Does that mean that businesses will forever have staff working at home? No, not necessarily, but it does mean that flexible work will forever be a permanent part of our reality. Now, another factor to that is the ability to work with international team members from other labor markets, not only giving you financial arbitrage advantage, but also, of course, being able to bring in global talent and opening up your talent pool to people outside of just the city that you're in, which cannot be Understated. It is uh, cannot be overstated. Sorry, uh, it's just an amazing, amazing advantage. And this is something that Carl said to me when we were sitting down for a dinner a number of years ago, when I was considering opening an office in one city in the Philippines. Uh, he said, "Well, Pete, if that office has, if that city has one million people in it, and the whole of the Philippines has over a hundred million people. Well, then you're restricting yourself to one percent of the talent pool of that uh, of that country." And, you know, that was extremely, extremely meaningful to me. And it was really like a a kick in the nuts at, you know, how small I was thinking uh, with how important a uh, more distributed and open uh, team is. So I think considering that remote is the new normal, have a think about, well, you know, what might your competitors be doing uh, or what might other businesses be doing right now in working remotely? And if you're entering a market where perhaps the incumbent businesses are still wishing that things will go back to the old way, or maybe you can start a completely virtual team business that runs in a new way, many businesses. And because we've been in the, you know, the fortuitous opportunity to be acquiring businesses in this market, many businesses have office leases and they have vehicles and they have outdated ways of doing things which come with capital expenditure and capital responsibilities linked to those expenditures as well. And so I'd be curious if, you know, in the industry that you're interested in uh, in investigating, if there are opportunities to build a remote first company. Now, we're in the IT industry and our business many years ago was literally going to people's offices and helping them out with computers and servers and all those kind of things, right? And we made the choice about three or four years ago to become a virtual IT business. And our some of our customers were not quite happy about it at the time. But when we said to them that we could deliver at 70% less than what we were charging them previously, every single one of our customers stayed with us. And some of those customers are, well, most of those customers are still uh, now with us today because we were able to deliver in a much more cost-efficient way to them. And you know they just really didn't miss things. And that allowed us to grow. That allowed us to dominate our market. We're now the number one Google partner in Australia, in part because... Uh, we were able to take advantage of working remotely where our competitors were held back by all the extra costs there. And, uh, you know, Carl, I'm sure you've been a witness to our business growth and, you know, I'm sure you've got experiences yourself of running a remote team and the advantages
0: that uh, that, that brings as well. Oh, a hundred percent. Everything you say. I, and I remember that conversation we had that dinner time a long time ago about, you know, I was just explaining why I had chose not to set up an office because I just saw the limitation and, As you're talking, you know what comes to mind of what business I would not be starting in 2020, 2021? What's that? A cafe (laughs) or a, a pub or, you know, like just, you know, anything that requires people to get really close together in and could be locked down at any time in all sorts of countries that you're in. And requires leases and lots of equipment. Like we're talking about what we would start. Let's talk about some of the things we wouldn't start. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be starting a commercial office space. I probably wouldn't be starting a co-working space either. Personally, you know, like anything that anything that you require a huge capital outlay to get started. I would be seriously questioning. Seriously. Yeah, I think that's,
1: I think that's just how we roll. And I think some other ones that people might naturally want to gravitate towards like a hand sanitizer business or a mask business, like all the obvious covid ones. I just think that that's ridiculous because they, you know, they're, they're so uh, you know, so obvious uh, that so many people have basically like, you know, jumped into those businesses now. I think where the opportunity is is not in those primary pandemic businesses, but in the secondary pandemic businesses. Maybe it's cleaning maybe it's supplying the hand sanitizer business maybe it's supplying the mask business maybe it's something that's going to change in the next two or three years or you know continue to remain changed like have a think about all of the elevator buttons that are going to be manufactured for the next five or ten years are probably going to be plastic rather than metal are you a manufacturing business that may choose to invest in manufacturing in plastic components and switches rather than metal components, random idea there. Um, but you, you know they're, they're the kind of things that I think about is like to try and stay away from the obvious ones and go for the second tier and the third tiers where there may be opportunity that others have not yet thought
0: about. I think it's worth also mentioning to stay away from a product. I remember watching this on Shark Tank years ago when that used to, I don't know if it's still on TV, but when that used to be on TV, you know, And you would see people come up with, here's my business. And it was like, no, you don't actually have a business. You've invented a product. That's what you've got. You've got a product. A business is you've got a product line. They buy this product and they buy another product or it's a consumable product at least. So they buy it and they buy it again and again and again. So that's another thing to really think about. If you are getting into the product business, like hand sanitizer, you mentioned hands. Well, that's all well and good. If you manufacture hand sanitizer and you can white label that to a lot of people, that's different. But if you're selling hand sanitizer you're not actually really in the business you're just selling a product that's all you are you're a salesperson selling a single product so you think about a whole line and that's not to diss anyone with like a side hustle shopify store
1: and and you know instagram ads selling something that a million other people are selling like if you can make money on it great but uh, you know i'm assuming that your bias is as mine is in creating long-standing value in a business and creating a business that is an asset. And the definition of a business is something that can eventually run without you. It's something you can eventually, you know, sell to someone else potentially. You know, that has to be an asset. And, uh, you know, one Instagram account or Shopify store in a busy marketplace, unless you have a some kind of magic competitive edge is not an asset. It's just yeah. a
0: gig. It's sell a product, which is great. I mean, even just the other day, I bought this really cool product. It's like this lens thing that was found on Instagram as an ad that's how it came through and it's just a product it's a cool little business if you want to call like i personally don't fully see it as that it's more like they've sold this great product what they now need to have is a whole line of great like you have bought this thing here's all these other camera gear here's all this other stuff that relates to the audience you now know you've got an audience relating to camera gear because this is what the lens is for now what else are you going to sell market whatever as an ongoing they had so much opportunity which maybe it'll still come but they haven't done it they've just been focused on i sold a product so that's the other thing is that you're starting a business think about yeah okay even if you start back. with the product you going back to your earlier comment about vision you want to have a vision of going cool once i've got this here's what will happen next with i've got that market
1: hmm. i'm going to throw in a little bonus and just peel back the matrix a little bit. If you ever find anything cool on a uh, Instagram ad, if you go into AliExpress and search for it, you can probably buy it for $10 rather than the marked up price of $30, including shipping that the the Instagram ads will uh, sell it for. But I have also been a victim of the Instagram rush and purchased a starry night led nice. light for uh, for the bedroom <laughs> among other things something that we haven't mentioned yet carl and, and this is something that i've really been getting into you know obviously i've bought a number of businesses and you know acquisitions are something that's a key part of our growth strategy uh, you know many businesses right now are struggling are going through tough financial times and would be helped by an injection of capital or even just an injection of fresh strategy into their business. And what I'm specifically talking about here is approaching competitors, approaching others in your industry, and having conversations around whether or not it might be an opportunity to partner up and trade out of the pandemic to greener grass uh, together, or it may be an opportunity for you to acquire competitors uh, and, and take them over completely. And you know we've already closed a number of acquisitions in the past six months. We have another quite significant one, which is in final stages of due diligence, which is really exciting, hoping to announce that soon. And these have been with businesses that have been in our industry and have decided for them, it's time for change. And so for some businesses, it may be taking over the business completely. For others, it may be, you know, like a merger or partnership of some sort. But I think there's always opportunities, particularly when there's choppy waters to look differently at what opportunities might be available to you. There are also businesses that are in the unfortunate situation of facing insolvency. And those businesses potentially have assets that may be able to be recovered and had value found out of those, Uh, particularly at the point in time of recording this episode, the second layer of JobKeeper is coming into effect. And the first one is actually exiting. There's a whole wave of businesses that are potentially facing liquidation. And the little secret with liquidation is that the liquidator must dispose of the assets and get as much value for them as possible and so if you call up a liquidator of a business that you know in your industry that has fallen into liquidation you can actually make an offer for things like the customer list equipment you know technology tools maybe the brand assets domain names phone numbers you know these are all things where if no one else has made an offer for them you may be able to make a very small offer and actually, you know, be able to take on that business or salvage some of that. And you may think, well, you know, what's the use in a customer list of a gym, you know, when no one has, you know, everyone's can I cancel their memberships and they're, and they're no longer customers. Well, if you want to start a new gym in the same suburb, then it would help to have a list of a thousand or a couple of thousand people who are all in that suburb, who are all interested in having a gym membership. That's your prospect list. And, you know, these may be extremely affordable for you to pick up some of these assets. I mean, there was a business that I talked about in an earlier episode where I'd offered six figures for the business. And then after the business was in liquidation, I ended up buying it for $15,000. And that was, you know, nearly, it was $600,000 in revenue in yearly sales. And look, there were some problems in that business, some debt and some other bits and pieces, but there are certainly opportunities there. And for anyone who's, you know, thinking that to themselves, you know, to you, the listener, if you're thinking, well, how would I even go about that starting that well you just start with a conversation you just start with a conversation you know worry about the legals and the negotiation and all those kind of things with your lawyers and 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 that you know later on down the line if you've got a potential deal going but just start with a conversation and you know particularly with businesses that you may perceive that are very successful or you may look up to in the industry or you may think that they've got everything sorted out and everything you know going right for them there are always opportunities to have a conversation because you never know what someone's personal situation is, and so I'm a big fan of looking at opportunities for mergers, acquisitions, partnerships, and uh, you know different ways of looking at uh, doing business and walking into a business. There's a million benefits of buying a business. Uh, you know, uh, let's yeah. check out our earlier episodes. There's so much there.
0: Check out our earlier episodes. I can't remember what numbers they were, but we've got two earlier episodes all about buying businesses. Pete even takes you through some of the deals he's done, including the one that he referred to. So if you haven't heard them yet, be sure to go back and check out. Pete, I also wanted to add in there what you were talking about. Well, what if you want to open a gym in the same suburb? Would 1,000 customers be useful or at least customer audience of people? You, you've also, yeah. if you didn't want to start a gym and go to that capital expense, if you just wanted to become a personal trainer in the area, maybe a virtual personal trainer who does it, You've got a whole bunch of people who are their gym is now shut down. They haven't been to the gym, but they'd like to get back to working out. Maybe there's so much value in that list or even maybe you're not doing that. You just want to sell some home workout gear that they haven't already bought. Like there's just so much value in something like a customer list if you know it's a target audience. So really wanted to hammer that home.
1: Upload it to Facebook and... You know, make a lookalike audience. <laughs> Just there's so many options. I mean, it's funny. Like when a liquidation happens, and you know, a lot of the the assets and responsibilities can actually be well. The assets hopefully are disposed of to you, but the responsibilities can be disposed of. Things like office leases and uh, and whatnot. You can sometimes kickstart a business with the same customer base without any of the debts. The old owner is not allowed to, and, and there's things like phoenixing laws that you need to be careful of. But if the old owner is out of there, then there's uh, there's a lot of opportunity to actually reboot a business. But we will save
0: more of those strategies for another episode. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've really gone to a lot of different angles when it's come to what kind of business can you start in 2021 We've covered starting, we've covered buying businesses, we've talked about specific industries, we've talked high level strategy around it. So if you are sitting on the fence, you weren't already a business owner and you were going, hey, what am I gonna start? Or you are a business owner and you were thinking about starting something new or you got friends around you, send them to this episode. Make sure that they're checking this out. We love you to just send, if there's a specific episode that's really stood out, share it on your socials, share it to a specific friend, We would love more people to get exposed to this information. Also, we would love your reviews on your favorite podcasting platform. We would love you to check out the show notes. You can find all the show notes for this episode and other episodes on rising.show. That's rising.show. So not .com, but .show. And yeah, look, I think we can call it a wrap. Pete, any final words?
1: No, that's the final words. Thanks so much for joining.
0: I'll let you do the outro, Mr. Carl. Let people know where they can find our stuff. Well, I've already kind of said, check us out, rising.show. Also, as I said, leave a comment on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple, Spotify, all of message. the ones, Google. Just send send us a, a hit us up
1: on the social, slide, slide into our DMs. If you've got a, <laughs> uh, a business idea or you've got something that you want to know if we think it's good or if it's shit, just drop it into us and we might even feature on our up- upcoming episode.
0: Totally. And that's a good point. Like we'd love questions. If you've been listening along and you've gone, you know what? I'd love to ask these guys a specific question. It might be about our businesses or it might be about business in general. We would love to hear them because that could help potentially be a future episode. Like today's was inspired from a question that Pete answered recently. We would love your question. So contact us. You can find all the details on how to contact us at rising.show. Also, you can hit us up on Instagram and Facebook. We've got various pages for Entrepreneurs Rising. So thanks for listening guys. And we'll talk to you soon. See ya.